I was in denial for a very long time about the struggles and I wish I was able to get in there earlier and have those open and honest conversations. And I especially think as we're in this moment of COVID, sitting next to our kids at the table and kind of having those honest conversations about what they're feeling, trying to read with them at night, having them write you a note to find something they've hidden in the house. All of these are ways that we can uncover those red flags. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber. This week, I'm talking with advocate and author Mickey Boas about dyslexia. I'm excited to be bringing Mickey onto the podcast because not only is she incredibly knowledgeable and passionate about the state of dyslexia services in our education systems, but she is also one of those parents who created what she needed in the world so other families could benefit. Following her youngest son's diagnosis with dyslexia and the resulting four-year legal battle to get him the educational support he needed, Mickey quit her day job as a marketing consultant to focus on dyslexia advocacy full-time. The result is her new book called One in Five, How We're Fighting for Our Dyslexic Kids in a System That's Failing Them. Mickey's also the founder of Invisible Red Tape, an online advising and crowdsourcing platform for parents to find practical, helpful solutions for fighting the inequalities in education for children with dyslexia. I know so many families are dealing with these challenges, made even more complicated by remote schooling during the pandemic. I've also heard from many parents who are just now suspecting their child might have dyslexia, and they're wondering what to do next. Mickey brings so much insight, data, hard-won experience, and most of all, hope to parents who find themselves in this situation. And she strongly believes in the power of parents and teachers to help turn the system around and to push for better services for our kids. I hope you enjoy this conversation. And now here is my conversation with Mickey. Hello, Mickey. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Really excited to have this conversation today with you to talk about what I think is a pretty unusual and new addition to the books for parents raising differently wired kids. You have such a cool approach to what you share. And I loved your book. It's called One in Five, How We're Fighting for Our Dyslexic Kids in a System That's Failing Them, which again, great title. I very much feel like the system is failing all of our differently wired kids. And, you know, before we get into why you wrote this book and what you're hoping it does in the world. Can you just take a few minutes to introduce yourself and maybe tell us a little bit about your personal story? Yeah, sure. Thanks so much for having me. Um, So I was brought to this story because I'm a marketer for a living and I'm used to kind of fighting and solving problems for mission-driven clients. And it wasn't until I noticed my oldest son struggling that um, I realized I was going to have the toughest fight of my life. So um, we noticed in kindergarten that he wasn't meeting the milestones that he needed. Uh, He went into first grade and he was diagnosed with dyslexia and ADHD. 
And I thought that once we got that diagnosis, it would open up a red carpet of services. And as we all know, it didn't. And he was getting 30 minutes of reading a week that he needed to support his his learning style. And I kept asking for more. I said, can I have more time? No, we don't have the money. Can I have a better trained teacher? No, we don't have time to get her trained. And so I did what I know how to do best. And I fought Um, It took me four years, four lawyers and four different school formats to get him what he needed. And I was just super upset and had no idea why I was struggling and how many other parents were struggling. And so I decided to quit my job and write this book to help other parents get results quicker and figure out what is the root cause of this national education crisis. Mm, It's so good. I I always get so inspired when I talk to guests who create something based on their own experience or create really what you needed right at the time when you were sifting through or slogging through might be the right word these these years of trying to figure it out and i you know you got the diagnoses pretty early which is something so many parents listening to this are even fighting to get that and then we often think when we get the diagnosis okay cool now we know what to do we can have the plan and as you said where's the red carpet of services? And unfortunately, that just really isn't the case for any of us, is it? No, I mean, and and with my youngest son, I was actually living like I was in Groundhog Day because with my youngest son, I couldn't even get an evaluation. So I interviewed over 200 people for this book. And I would say almost half of them struggled just to get um, the diagnosis because what I discovered is our special education system is severely underfunded. And so if you don't want to see the problem because you don't have the means to serve it. And so that's the main struggle in um, parents trying to get that diagnosis. Yeah. And it seems to me, and, and I'd love to know if this is what you found in the research, that dyslexia specifically is a learning disability that is especially tricky for families to navigate because of that reluctance. Like I've heard that from maybe anecdotally, that that is one that a many schools are not either, I guess, equipped to identify early, or there is just such a reluctance to do so. Is that what you found as well? Yes. And so it's really important for listeners to remember that there's a federal law (laughs) that protects us all to have the rights that we deserve. And so the, the laws state that we are guaranteed a free and appropriate public education, but yet um, the federal government has not funded what they said in the IDEA, which was they would pick up 40% of the differential. And on a good year, which they've very rarely reached, they've gotten up to 15%. So that leaves the state and local governments holding the bag. I live in Jersey City, which is $155 million underfunded. So how are they going to want to screen for early intervention if they don't have the resources to support it? So really, at the end of the day, it's it's a financial issue. Is that are were there other reasons as well that you think get in the way or is the bottom line really the the money? So I kind of look at it in a like trickle down approach. It starts with the federal government who has not fulfilled its financial obligation and in my mind is acting like a deadbeat dad. Um, and then it it trickles down to the lack of early intervention. So if you don't have the money, you don't want to screen for it. 
But yet, if you screen for it, you can get children up to grade reading level if it's done with the intensity that it needs. But because dyslexia is a invisible learning disability, many children use different coping skills to get around it. And two thirds of children with learning disabilities are not diagnosed or given the support that they need, which causes the great consequences I talk about in the book, which 85% of the prison population cannot read. Um, You know, 65% of fourth graders are not reading at a proficient level. And so there's a real, um, there's real consequences that come when children are not able to read you know, past that third grade threshold. And then finally, the research uncovered that if you are given the diagnosis and are screened, you're placed with a special education teacher who's being asked to educate 13 different types of disabilities in a classroom. And Emily Hanford's work, which I I love so much, found that four out of 10 teacher training programs, pre-service teachers going into the classrooms, do not teach the science of reading and phonics. And so the teachers are severely undertrained to teach children with dyslexia. Yeah. And I'll just say to having, we have a pretty global audience as well. Like majority of our listeners are in the US, but I lived abroad in Europe and, and I know there are many listeners who are saying, yes, this is, you know, what we're dealing with in our respective countries as well. The legalities might look different, but kind of across the board, dyslexia is a is is something that tends to get identified much later than it than it should be or needs to be. Because isn't it something that could be pretty, I don't know if simple is the way to to identify, but there are some very clear markers when a student or a child is dyslexic. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Thanks for bringing that up. So the number one thing I was shocked about was that dyslexia is genetic. So my husband is dyslexic, therefore, one of our children has dyslexia. And if you have one child with dyslexia, you have a 40% chance of having a sibling with dyslexia, which is why I have two children (laughs) with dyslexia. Um, And so some of the early milestone markers, it's very important that you talk with pediatricians. The average well visit for a pediatrician in the US is 10 minutes. So the number one thing that you need to mention is if your partner has struggled with learning difficulties in their past or something that might look like learning disabilities and try to get that, that early screening with your pediatrician. Um, the, you can accurately diagnose dyslexia at five. However, in the U.S., we are not diagnosing children until about 10. And so um, there's a big gap when you should be reading proficiently around seven until, you know, three years later when children are failing. And so the early signs you can look for in, you know, pre-K and kindergarten is a delay in talking, difficulty remembering information such as letter names. Um, in, in first grade to third grade, there's difficulties with sounding out like A and Apple, difficulty remembering common sight words. Um, my youngest son was refusing to take off his jacket and hiding underneath the table <laughs> and when he was asked to read. Um, executive functioning, as you know, is, is very common with children with dyslexia as well. Not being able to follow multiple instructions like tire shoes, get out the door, <laughs> put on your backpack, these types of things. So 
the sooner you can kind of recognize these. I was in denial for a very long time about the the struggles and I wish I was able to get in there earlier and have those open and honest conversations. And I especially think as we're in this moment of COVID, sitting next to our kids at the table and kind of having those honest conversations about what they're feeling, trying to read with them at night, having them write you a note to find something they've hidden in the house. All of these are ways that we can uncover those red flags. Yeah, it's so interesting that you you mentioned COVID because, you know, when things started happening in the spring and, and suddenly kids who may have been moving down that traditional path and there weren't any red flags raised by the school system and now they're home with their parents and their parents are observing them learning maybe for the first time, you know, in their early elementary school career. And they are starting to they're noticing things. And and so I think this is probably a really interesting opportunity for kids to be identified when things may have been missed if they were still going to school every day. Yes, you're right. And it's every parent's right to send a note to their teacher to the school administrators asking for an evaluation, those things have not stopped because of remote learning environment. And so it's really important because of the time that it takes. It takes, it took me an average of 18 months to get my youngest son in place. And so the quicker parents can reach out now and ask for that screening, the the better you'll be as we look at 180 days of school. We'll be right back after this quick break. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body, and so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. I'm on the road this month and oh man, am I missing my sweet kitties, Haskell and Lua. They've been a part of our family for more than two years and I'm so grateful they're keeping Darren such good company while I'm away. If you're getting a new pet soon, you're probably already thinking about everything you'll need to buy. Food, toys, a cozy bed, doggy bags or litter boxes. Something you may not be thinking about though is pet insurance. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. 
They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. I actually would like to go into your book a little bit because, again, I found it to be a different experience as a reader, different from most books about parenting kids with learning disabilities or or neurodifferences in that you really walk us through your legal battle and what you went through over the past four years in such great detail. It was it was riveting and it was really insightful because you gave us a look really at the behind the scenes of every step. And that I feel is such a generous gift to parents who, you know, reading an article on here are things to do is so different than actually walking through it with you. So can you tell us a little bit more about why you wrote it that way? And maybe a little bit more of the kinds of things that listeners could expect to understand better through your book? Yeah. So I was super lucky to to publish a book as a first time author with Simon and Schuster. And my kind of take on telling this story was from a, a professional point of view of being a strategist. But I saw, like you mentioned, there being books in the market from awesome experts who have PhDs in learning disabilities and dyslexia. And then there were books on, you know, a very how-to way to approach the system. But as a professional storyteller, I thought the way to move people was to tell these emotional stories and almost showcase an outrageous highlight Mm -hmm. reel and and use that storytelling as a platform for change. And so when I wrote about my legal story, I'm really glad that you said um, it gave an insider's look because when you're going through it, it is so tragic. (laughs) But um, I wanted to hack the system. I wanted to provide things that people don't tell you. So, you know, you might hear from a lawyer that you need to do things a certain way. But, you know, as parents, we're so innovative. And I wanted to kind of write a, I wish I would have known this. Make sure you ask for data. Make sure you write a back to school letter for parents, for teachers on the first day so that they're not waiting to get your IEP. And so what I learned from the lawyers was was very interesting, but I learned more in communities like this because the real deal, telling parents the way that it is and kind of providing a map and a guide to hack the system was my goal in putting together these uh, 19 women who are featured in the book and my story and looking at alternative school formats, because I just wanted to get to like how we can make this better because one in five children have dyslexia and the system's just not built for us. And so I was trying to make my best pass at at how can we build it together and, and make a change. Yeah. And I just appreciate that so much. I mean, I, get overwhelmed, frankly, with all with exactly the stuff that you go into such great detail about in your story. And I think many parents do. I mean, in my Tilt Together Facebook community, there are tons of questions about these very things. And, and I feel 
like I'm the the novice in many of those communities where I show up or, you know, I'm in a listserv of parents in the New York City area who have twice exceptional kids. And I'm learning every day just from their experiences. So this is overwhelming, I think, especially for a parent who is just discovering, you know, they're just at the very beginning of this journey. And it's just hard to know, know where to turn or what to expect as it unfolds. So I, again, I just really appreciated the detail that you went into. And I'm just like wondering how did you, I mean, you said you talked with other experts and you, you learned from other communities, but how did you stay the course over four years to kind of get to this level of of detail and be able to navigate this? Yeah. So when I dig into something, whether it's my passion on food waste or climate change, or I just, I can't stop until I find the answers. And so the four years that it took for my son, I just felt that I had a right as a member of this community in Jersey City to have the school system tell me why that my child didn't have the same rights to education. And each excuse they gave provided a whole nother ream of um, invisible red tape is what I call it. That's my thought leadership platform that keeps wrapping around us and threatening to mummify us and keep us silent. And that's not the way to create change. And so I, I did the research because I had a deadline with my publisher. I actually did the research and interviewed everyone in six months. So that's pretty crazy. Wow. <laughs> um, thank goodness for a, a quiet space to do that. And every moment that I unturned something or I heard an outrageous obstacle, like a parent in Nebraska being told that scented markers was multi-sensory learning, or a parent being told that uh, if she brought in a reading tutor for her child who couldn't read, that they'd have to bring in a gymnastics tutor for a child who couldn't do gymnastics. I mean, comparing gymnastics to sports. And so you just had to keep going and going. And one story that absolutely breaks my heart is a woman in Washington whose daughter tried to commit suicide twice because she didn't feel that she was up to the standards. And her mom was a special education teacher and was fighting for her. And it just seemed like there were so many different angles to take. And so I wanted to do my best to make sure that each story we were telling whether it was my story about my son having to hold up his hand and being called the Statue of Liberty because he couldn't get help, or parents that are told that they can't get help for their child for reading because they need uh, new football screens in the, the auditorium. I mean, this is not the way that education needs to be formed. And I just stuck to it until I found the answers. Mm. And I'm wondering when you found the answers, you know, clearly you're talking about a broken system and that's very much what, you know, I'm trying to bring awareness as well, Mm -hmm. you know, with Untilled Parenting. And do you find or have you found that the teachers themselves, the people who are working with our kids are more open and that it's the barriers are more at the administrative level? I'm just wondering what you have discovered there. Yeah. So there's an interesting study um, called the Seek Connecticut survey that showed that 65% of teachers felt that they would face retaliation for speaking up about the special needs of the child with the parent. 
Um, but in my research, I found that the teachers really do want to speak up. They know there is a problem. And so to answer your question, I've seen that the resistance really exists at the administration level. And it's simply because they don't have enough money. And so I actually believe even the administrators, I believe that everyone has a good heart and wants to do the best for our children. The resources that were mandated by federal law just simply aren't there. Mm -hmm. And let's talk then about the resources. You mentioned COVID before. I know this is stuff that I'm seeing in my parenting communities is just longer delays people who may be getting, you know, extra services through the school or things funded through the school, those are delayed. Like, how do you see what we're experiencing right now impacting kids either who already who have ongoing services, maybe they've already been identified as being dyslexic or for parents who are trying to determine if their child has a learning disability? So I think what's happening now is um, because the class time is limited in whatever format you're in, the ability to provide early intervention services is limited because the interaction time is limited. So I think there's a real onus, not like parents need one more thing to do in this crazy situation that we're all in. But um, I think there's a, a solution of parents speaking up and asking for those early intervention services and to be screened right away. Um, also, we have a very short window, Debbie, for literacy. There's 12 million kids that are going into grade school in the fall, right? And so if you're not reading by the end of third grade, you're four times more likely to drop out of high school. And as a parent who has a child that is in third grade right now, I'm very scared that the literacy support is not going to be there. I'm lucky that he is getting the reading services that he still needs, but there is an onus on me to try to fill in the gaps and try to make reading fun in a time when they just want to be on their electronic devices and things like that. So there's a real, there, there should be a real will because our literacy is at stake and it just has some great consequences. So um, I've seen parents downloading some online curriculum that works for dyslexic children, such as like Orton Gillingham programs, Wilson reading programs. So even if you're not a teacher, you're able to kind of provide the decoding skills and things that your child might need. There's also used resources you can use. I've also seen parents requesting um, private services to be provided for their children because IEPs were built for brick and mortar schools. It was not built for the situation that we're in, and it just simply doesn't scale. And so I've seen parents have some success in requesting private resources be provided to fill in those gaps. We'll be right back after this quick break. If you listen to the show, you probably know that at least one in five children is differently wired. But did you know that approximately one in two women will experience hair thinning? If you're part of that 50%, you are absolutely not alone. But because hair thinning for women isn't something people openly talk about, going through it can feel lonely and frustrating. So why not do something about it with Nutrafol? Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Everyone's root causes of hair thinning are different. So a one size fits all approach to hair growth isn't going to cut it. Nutrafol has multiple formulas tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow throughout different stages, postpartum, menopause, even for different lifestyles like a plant-based diet. 
To get your personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes, you can take a simple hair wellness quiz on Nutrafol.com. And because there's no prescription required, you can quickly get set up online with free shipping and automated deliveries, which make it so much easier to stick with your new hair care routine. See results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code TILT. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com promo code TILT. That's Nutrafol.com promo code TILT. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. So parents who have an IEP where their IEP can't be accommodated, there, some are having success by going back to the school and saying, I've identified this support source. I need you to cover the bill. Yep. Yep. Oh, that's great to know. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's possible, right? We're going to get pushed back like mm-hmm. <laughs> forever, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I talk about all the time in the book. But yeah, it, it's worth a shot because thank goodness the right of um, the IDEA have not been taken away during this. And so it's still within your legal rights to ask for those services and hopefully assist the school in giving them ideas on where they can provide those resources. Yeah. Do you have any other thoughts for students who are maybe just doing full on remote or they're doing some sort of hybrid and they're struggling to navigate this kind of new landscape of schooling, hopefully a temporary one, but what they're dealing with right now for how they can successfully move through that? Yeah. So dyslexic children thrive on structure. So the more structure you can have for your child during the day, the better they will uh, respond. So for example, we have schedules printed out I created an interactive schedule for my youngest one with all the Zoom links in one place. Um, 
talking to them about their schedule before the day starts at lunchtime, reminding them of their schedule. So any kind of structured environment that you can put in place for dyslexic children in this virtual world is hugely helpful. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think that's something we're all kind of realizing the more that we can give our kids visual cues or just kind of expectation of what their day is going to look like is for sure what is helping our kids the most. So can you tell us about, you mentioned Invisible Red Tape as a thought leadership platform. Can you tell us more about that? I kind of want to know what your, it sounds like you're starting a revolution, which I love. And I kind of want to know what your, your big picture vision is for what you hope this book and then, and then your Invisible Red Tape platform does in the world. Yes. So Invisible Red Tape was actually the original name of the book. (laughs) Um, And I just felt that it was a name that worked really well because I felt like a lot of children who are wired differently typically go unnoticed. And the red tape that we have to cut through just is so overwhelming that I don't understand how anyone has the will to keep moving forward with it. And so my goal with this platform was how can we tell these real stories and figure out a way around them? So for example, um, in Jersey City, I was, I, I'm working with a group called Jersey City Together, and it's a civic organization. And we were able to get an audit on the special education budget so we can start to see where the money is being spent. And therefore, we can propose changes. And that's what I hope could happen with the Invisible Red Tape, that we're sharing stories, we're figuring out ways around it. Because Debbie, if we wait for our grandkids to have children for this problem to be fixed, it will be too late. And so the Invisible Red Tape is basically just, it's currently a site. (laughs) Um, You can also visit us on Facebook and Instagram. But the main goal is just to share stories to try to figure out how to hack this system and make it better. Yeah, crowdsourcing what has worked for people. And it's inspiring just to hear how other people have moved through this and that sense of we're not alone in this, because especially going through these legal battles, if we don't have close friends or family who really get it, it can be incredibly isolating. Yeah. And, and I was grateful for my friends that helped me through it. And, and that's what I wanted this to be a place where you can learn insights because they're told in impactful stories and you can explore solutions. I mean, I think that that's the part of the book I'm, I'm the most proud about that I think is, is making an impact. People are seeing that if you get ahead of the problem, you can provide a great range of options. For example, one of my biggest pieces of advice I give in the book is um, how do we have an argument that is based on data or how do we present a rational conversation around data? Because as you know, so many of the conversations we have are emotionally charged. But my youngest son, for example, missed the cutoff for a simple evaluation by one point. And that was such a subjective reasons they were giving me as to why he couldn't be evaluated. But when I actually looked at the data, I was able to get an evaluation for him by having a conversation based on data. And so many times schools tell you that you cannot have what you want because that's just how it is. And so I feel like if we can look at the data and question why these decisions are being made, 
that can potentially help as well. Mm-hmm. And again, that's just good uh, life skills too, right? Right. <laughs> that's so much of what I applied to this because I feel like so many of the problems we face in this world could just take some good life skills and the, the special education system is just so deep and difficult that if English isn't your first language, if you are dyslexic yourself and struggle reading, you're, you're handed a 65-page guide and being told these are your rights and, and being asked to go through that is, is very overwhelming. Yeah. I have a copy of such an <laughs> such a packet here. I did not read it cover to cover. I will tell you that. No, but but the good news is is like in terms of being optimistic, it's possible because the laws are there that protect your children. Um, we're in a moment now where we're sitting next to our kids at the kitchen table, seeing this happen, and so I think it's as simple as you know noting it down, taking a a note of what's happening in the class. I mean, you're literally sitting next to them and you're their best advocate. So I'm not saying it's easy, but speak up, write letters, listen to some of the other stories. And I think you can find some of your own hacks to get through it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I just, one last question on these unusual circumstances. I very much believe and hope that this landscape of school right now and the way that we are seeing all the problems because of remote learning and hybrid learning and, and what we had to deal with in the spring and what many of us are, are working through this fall, that hopefully this is an opportunity for us to make some much overdue changes to the traditional educational model. So do you see this as an opportunity as well beyond just parents becoming more perhaps tuned in to what's going on with their kids and identifying learning disabilities, but in terms of actually changing the system in this moment in time? Yeah, I I 100% believe that it's possible. For example, as we're all getting ready to vote in November, right? Talk to your senators and tell them to fully fund IDEA. Tell them your personal stories because it's their job to represent you, right? I think the burden of education is being put on parents in this moment. And I think that our collective minds are going to come together and find different ways to solve these problems. And so I do think we are at a moment of, of real change in education. And I think it's it's forcing us to look at the, the institutional system that hasn't worked. And I think parents are going to be at the forefront of changing it. So I'm really excited to see what happens. Me too. Me too. That sounds like a good rally cry. Yes. <laughs> so before we say goodbye, just tell listeners again, where are the best places for them to connect with you? Yes. So you can email me directly at Mickey at InvisibleRedTape.com, M-I-C-K-I. Uh, you can find out more information at the website Invisible Red Tape. You can also find a, a lot of our content on Facebook at Invisible Red Tape. So yeah, hopefully check out the book One in Five on any online platform. And I'm super happy that that you are having these conversations about differently wired children and for including me in it. Thank you so much for sharing today. And congratulations on the book. Thank you. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, visit tiltparenting.com slash podcast and search for this conversation. 
If you like what you heard on today's episode, I would be grateful if you could take a minute to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a review. Thank you so much for helping us stay visible so people who would benefit from the show can easily find it. If you want to support the show and help me cover the cost of production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. To support the show, just visit patreon.com slash tiltparenting. Lastly, if you aren't already part of the online community at Tilt, I invite you to sign up at tiltparenting.com on the box in the bottom where it says join the revolution. Every Thursday, I send out a short email with a quick note from me, a link to that week's podcast episode, and links to five stories from the news that week that are relevant to parents like us. Again, you can sign up and learn more about Tilt at www.tiltparenting.com. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.